This is episode 72 of the Magic Detective Podcast. This is a special Halloween edition. Today's feature, a radio drama called The Devil and Harry Keller. That and more on this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Magic Detective Podcast, your podcast home for magic history. I'm your host, Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective, and this is episode 72. I am very excited for today's episode. Lots to cover, lots to uh, share with you. If you haven't already done so, please pick up a copy of David Copperfield's History of Magic book. Uh, There are apparently a couple different editions and or bonuses that you can get. You can get an autographed copy, depending upon who you order it from. You can get a special edition through Barnes & Noble that has an extra chapter. You can get a copy that also comes with a deck of cards, and there might yet be more. So if you go to my blog, themagicdetective.com, and you look up the review I did for the book, you'll be able to see the various versions and order them appropriately. Joshua Jay's new book, How Magicians Think, is out, and it's a very interesting book. In fact, uh, take a listen to this. How Magicians Think is my love letter to magic and the best magicians in the world. It's a podcast about what happens when you spend every waking second of your life pushing the boundaries of what's possible. What is real is at the core of magic. Because when you see a magic trick, you often think, well, how could you have done that? My name is Joshua Jay. And I've been obsessed with magic since I was seven years old. It's all I've ever done. And now I'm here to share with you how magicians think. Joshua has turned his book into a podcast called How Magicians Think. And they're already on to two or three episodes by now. And they are really great. I encourage you to go check out his podcast, How Magicians Think, through your favorite podcasting provider. Next, there is a new movie in development by Sean Farquhar and John Ornoy called Lost in the Shuffle. It's a documentary about playing cards and about the history of what is known as the Suicide King. It looks to be a very, very interesting project. If you'd like to find out more about it, please go to lostintheshufflefilm.com. Dot com. That's lostintheshufflefilm.com. They're soon going to have a Kickstarter page, and you'll be able to get to that from the uh, lostintheshufflefilm.com site. And if you're so inclined uh, to support the project, that would be great. I will put a link to them in the show notes. And now, my friends, today's feature is something very different. I, I alluded to it last Uh, episode, but let me tell you a little bit more about it. This all started because I wanted to write a play for fringe festivals about a magician, except I didn't know how to go about writing a play. So I chose instead to write a short story, uh, knowing that I could probably alter it later as needed. And the idea came to me while I was looking over some uh, Harry Keller posters and, you know, the posters with the imps and the demons and such. All of a sudden, while I was looking at the posters, a story began to form in my, my mind, and it practically wrote itself. I have not yet translated it over to play form, but I realized that it would make an ideal old-style radio drama, as it were. Uh, it lasts about as long as a regular episode of the podcast, so I thought it would be perfect. 
So, my friends, please enjoy The Devil and Harry Keller. The Devil and Harry Keller. The story you are about to hear is mostly true, with some liberties taken along the way. My name is M. I've been called by many other names. Mr. Splitfoot, Springheel Jack, Beelzebub, the Head Demon, the Serpent, Satan, and the Devil. In truth, despite my appearance and obvious choice of attire, none of those names are me. Those are all names associated with my boss. I am merely his humble servant, Mephistopheles. I have a simple job, to collect the souls of the damned. And before you turn away in disgust, let me ask, how many of you have jobs that you dislike? If you answered yes, then you understand. I have no choice in the matter. It's my assigned job, and, well, frankly, I do it well. I'm here, though, to introduce to you a lovely chap by the name of Heinrich, or, or, or Harry, as they called him then, Harry Keller. Oh, what a fascinating young man he was, so eager to take on the world. This was mainly due to his upbringing and his desire to get out of the house as fast as he could. His mother died when he was a young boy, and this led to much personal confusion. This eventually caused him to develop a disobedient streak, and thus his desire to exit the house as soon as he could. At age ten, he was apprenticed to a druggist. One day, while working in the apothecary, Harry was mixing chemicals in some sort of experiment and nearly blew the roof off the building. The druggist promptly dismissed him. "'Twas at that moment Harry Keller came to the attention of the head demon, and thus to me. I was commanded to keep an eye on Harry to see what road he ventured down. If it looked like he was going to, well, head towards what polite society would say, head down the wrong road, it was my job to facilitate that happening. In other words, I was expected to guide his way to the path that leads to destruction. Harry ran away shortly after the explosion and went to New York City. He found a job as a newspaper boy. Then one day, shortly after he arrived in the city, a terrible thing happened. He met a man of the cloth. This godly man offered to adopt the boy and train him for the ministry. No! I had to do something fast before the boss found out, but what could I do? As fate would have it, the problem solved itself. Harry and his pastor friend came across an advertisement for a performance being put on by the Fakir of Ava. The Fakir, who was an Englishman named Hughes, performed an unusual sort of magic show. The two attended the show put on by the Fakir. Harry was dumbstruck by what he saw. In all his life, he had never witnessed such miracles. His newfound interest would be magic, and the ministry 
was out. I had nothing to do with this chance encounter, though I did take full credit for it with the boss. I needed to make sure Harry stayed on this path. Then the, the next step would be to get the fakir involved, although without his knowledge, the fakir always worked with a young assistant. His current assistant was part helper, part gopher, part performer, part anything else the fakir needed at the moment. And out of the blue, this employee was presented with a better offer, and he up and vanished into the night. The fakir was now desperate to replace him. He immediately placed an ad in the newspaper that read, Young man needed for job as magician's assistant must be willing to travel. I made sure Harry found the ad and applied for the job. All applicants were to show up at the fakir's home on Wednesday of that week. I will admit I underestimated how many people would apply for that position. Seems every young man in a 25-mile radius came out to interview with the fakir. I had to do something fast. I had to figure out a way to ensure that Harry got the job over all the others. And here's what I did. Each person that arrived at the fakir's home, I followed them inside. In invisibly, of course. However, despite my invisibility... I knew the fakir's faithful dog would see me. Indeed, the moment the dog laid eyes on me, he barked incessantly. <laughs> but each young applicant got the blame, not me. I did this over and over and over until Harry finally showed up. This time, I made sure to remain hidden. As fate would have it, the dog loved Harry jumped up on him, licked him. The fakir saw this and hired Harry on the spot. No more ministry for Harry Keller. I was confident that Harry would remain on this course, at least for a while, so I was behind in collecting souls, so I had to leave the boy with the fakir and his dog, at least for now. If Harry stayed on this path till adulthood, I could orchestrate something even more diabolical at a later date, which would lead to his fall. And if he fell, or better, when he fell, I would swoon in and pick up the pieces of his soul. But for now, I had to move on. During this period, there was a major crisis happening in the United States, a war between the states. Young men were dying at an alarming rate. Over 620,000 souls perished during the battles. At Gettysburg alone, the totals were 51,000 casualties. We were doing one hell of a business during the war, though the other side seems to have collected the majority of the souls. By the other side, I mean heaven, not the north or south. Still, I made my quota, and the boss was satisfied with my work. I lost track of Harry Keller during this time. Harry had missed out on the war, being just a bit too young to serve. Instead, he was learning about the world of conjuring, 
how to handle cards, the rudiments of sleight of hand, the unusually mystical qualities found inside magical boxes, and more, became Harry's daily grind. His education also included how to perform both as an assistant and an unseen helper, and actually, on a rare occasion, as the star performer. By the time the war had ended, Harry had matured into adulthood. He turned into a fairly decent performer, but he was inexperienced on the business end of things. His disobedience streak kicked in when one day he decided to go out on his own. The fakir reluctantly gave Harry his blessing. Harry was a flop. His show wasn't bad, but he didn't know enough about promoting the show, selling tickets, and all the administrative duties required for this business. But he was stubborn, and he kept pushing forward. Unfortunately for Harry, he worked infrequently, and this meant he was on the verge of homelessness and starvation. Harry also did everything he could to stay one step ahead of his creditors. However, he gained a reputation for skipping out on hotel bills. On top of that, Harry found out the hard way that he had fierce competition. First was Robert Heller. Heller. Get it? Heller. That that was my idea. I'll take full credit for it. The other gentleman was a man by the name of Alexander Herman. The great Herman, they called him. Coincidentally enough, Herman bore a striking resemblance to yours truly. I decided to throw Harry a bone. I arranged to have him meet William Fay, who was the manager of the famous Davenport Brothers. Fay agreed to take Harry on board as an assistant. Here, Harry would continue to grow as a performer, but more importantly, he would learn the business side of show business. This had been a lot of work for one soul that I had yet to meet in person, but the boss thought he would be worth the effort. After having worked behind the scenes guiding Keller's life, the day finally came when the boss wanted me to meet personally with Harry. So I was off to see the wizard. You would think that serving the Prince of Deception, I would be keen to every trick in the book, but the first time I saw Keller perform, he fooled me. He began by putting wads of cotton into a silver decanter. He momentarily covered the silver decanter, and lo and behold, when he removed the cover, no cotton but in its place, piping hot coffee. We demons do enjoy things piping hot. Harry handed out several cups of coffee, and I, in disguise as an ordinary theater-goer, was one of the lucky recipients. At the conclusion of his performance, I went backstage to thank him for the coffee and partake in conversation. I knew if I appealed to his vanity, he would be putty in my hands. Ah, how quick the mighty have fallen just by a few flattering words. But Harry, well, he was oddly gracious, turning the compliments back on me. I was not expecting that. So I chose another strategy— I told him that his show was exquisite. Then I added, it was a shame his promotional pieces were not a good reflection of his work. He actually agreed that his advertising lacked something, but he couldn't put his finger on it. 
I smiled wryly and explained that many of the great masters of his art included the underworld in their works as a way to make their magic seem more mysterious, and if I might use the word, more tempting to an audience's appetite for entertainment. Well, the blank stare upon Harry's face told me he hadn't a clue what I was talking about. Devils, man, devils! You need to incorporate demons and devils in the artwork of your posters. His reply, But I'm not in the league with the devil, my friend. Magic, my magic, uses no manner of supernatural shenanigans. This time was I who had the blank stare. Several moments of silence, and then Harry spoke again. You know, perhaps you're on to something. Heller used that angle in his adverts. Herman, why, he even looks like the devil himself. Friend, by George, you might be right. On that note, I again thanked Keller for the coffee and departed. Mr. Keller, he wasted no time in adding sinister figures to his advertisements. The first few efforts were somewhat subdued. In fact, I had to look very hard to find trace any trace of my fellow demons in his first poster. In the next one, he included a demon on stage, but he also included several angelic beings, apparently lifting him up over the heads of the audience. I, I, I caught hell for that one. Keller was quick to realize that his workload was increasing immediately following the inclusion of these devilish creatures in his advertisements. With the sudden burst of popularity came the ability to move into another arena, a new arena, color. Color lithography was the newest thing in advertising, though only the wealthiest shows or wealthiest performers could afford it. For Keller, he was now able to spend the money on such extravagance, and spend he did. It seemed the more money he made, the more of my demonic friends appeared on his posters. One poster featured almost a dozen hellish imps. Harry would have to admit that his success was a direct result of the devil and his minions. Thanks to me, he was practically on damnation's doorsteps. Months and years passed, and Harry Keller's success grew. In 1878, Robert Heller died of pneumonia in Philadelphia while on tour. This meant Harry had only one serious competitor. Herman was the biggest name in the theater, and Harry was closing in on him. The boss encouraged me to pay another visit to Harry. I attended my second Keller performance while he was playing the Pittsburgh Opera House. The theater was sold out. Parents, children, young adults lined the streets waiting to get in. I walked invisibly by the throngs of theater goers and went straight through the doors into the theater auditorium. Usually, the only ones who can see me are the damned, though on occasion others will see me, if I allow it. Likewise, if I do not wish to be seen at all, that is my prerogative. This day, I chose to be seen by only one, Keller himself. 
To further my invisibility, I hid in the shadows. I waited as the audience arrived. As each mortal walked through the lobby and into the theater, I made note of future prospects, those who have already been damned but just don't know it. I was on the clock, after all. The show was due to begin, so I stepped out of the shadows and rose up stealthily towards the large crystal chandelier which hung over the main floor. No one would see me there, even if they could, and I would have a keen view to likely see the secrets behind Keller's tricks. There would be no fooling this old demon tonight. Damn! He utterly destroyed me that evening with his conjuring feats. I should not have been so taken in, but time and again I was deceived. Rose bushes grew and blossomed in the blink of an eye. A woman raised up right up off the floor. It was incredible. Mortals do not have this ability. How in Hades is this man doing this, I wondered. It just got more and more bizarre from there. Keller sat on a chair in the middle of the stage, placed his hands on the sides of his head. With a gentle jerk and lift, his head came off. It floated away from his hands and rose several feet above him. Mysteriously, the disembodied head floated right back down to join his body. Keller stood up, stepped forward, and took a bow. The audience burst into wild applause. Then came that terrible error in judgment. Not not on Keller's part, but on mine. Under my breath, I whispered, This man is the real Prince of Deception. I was in trouble the moment I spoke those words. No sooner did I finish making the sound of the N in Deception, I was whisked from the theater, pulled down through the earth, through miles of rock and dirt, into hell itself. Hell was especially hot that day. As I descended towards the lake of fire, I heard that unmistakable voice. Twas the boss, the head demon. I didn't see him. I didn't need to. I heard him. All of hell heard him. And everyone in hell knows the boss's voice. He said only two words. Who is? (sighs) That was directed at me. All the legions of demons in hell could hear it, but that question was for me. Throngs of the damned replied, You, you are the prince of deception. Then I heard one of the new arrivals, a recently departed politician. He was yelling, No, you are the king of deception. No one likes a kiss-ass, even in hell. I suppose that's why there's a whole section devoted strictly to politicians. I had punishment coming. The boss's wrath was swift. The less said about it, the better. In those sore, I returned to work with a newfound determination. I decided it was time to take everything away from Keller. I would strip him of his success and make Keller's life a living hell on earth. I began by influencing those around him, and that is how I stumbled upon his Achilles heel. Harry Keller had a temper. Imagine that. 
a temper and an unusually bad one, but he was quick to forgive and forget. Now, I had to get him to the point where his temper ruled him. Now that I knew how to get to Keller, I had to figure out who there was that was close to him that might have the biggest effect on him. And then I remembered meeting his right-hand man prior to our original first encounter. Turns out this man was highly sought after by every magician in the country. It was time for me to work my special brand of magic. I paid a visit to my doppelganger, Herman. I posed as a theater critic and praised his show, but made one offhand suggestion that the show might be just a little better with an experienced hand behind the scenes. Someone like Robinson, perhaps. Then I said, ah, but he is unavailable. With that, I shook his hand and left. The seed was planted. I was confident it would germinate quickly into trouble for Keller. A snap of my fingers, and I arrived at Keller's next stop. There, sitting on the steps just outside the theater exit, was William Ellsworth Robinson. He was reading a telegram that he had just received from Herman the Great. What an odd coincidence! Herman wrote to offer Robinson a job as stage manager for his touring show. Robinson had previously worked for Herman, so he was well acquainted with the man. The deciding gambit on Herman's part was to offer Robinson double the money he previously paid him. Check and mate, Mr. Keller. Oh, how I was tempted to follow Robinson as he went to meet with Keller. But alas, I felt my time would better be served by... Oh, forget that. I went inside to see and watch everything. I couldn't wait to see the fireworks. From above the stage in the flies of the theater, I spied on the two gentlemen. They stood facing one another. Robinson was gesturing slowly with his hands. Keller, he had his hand on his chin. In any second, I knew there would be an angry eruption. But... But no... Yeah. Keller reached out to shake hands with Robinson. He even patted him on the back. No! I, I clasped my hands to my face. My plan had failed. Actually, about 30 seconds after Robinson walked out the stage exit door, I heard the unmistakable sound of crashing metal glass breaking and objects being hurled through the air. And then I heard it. It was music to my ears. The sound of cursing and some very harsh cursing back coming from the mouth of Kelly. He was in a rage. My plan had worked like a well-oiled machine. This event spelled disaster for Keller. Robinson was more than a right-hand man. He was the most knowledgeable magician in the country. He helped Keller with illusions, helped him with staging. He helped Keller to become the polished magician he was today. This loss was just the thing I needed to push old Harry Keller over the edge. Or so I thought. 
To get his mind off the loss of Robinson, Keller soon booked a tour of Mexico, South America, and Europe. The tour went surprisingly well for Keller. He featured his cabinet trick that he had learned during his brief stint with the famed Davenport brothers. In this mystery, Keller was bound with ropes to a chair inside a large wooden cabinet. Next to the chair was a small stool with a bell, a tambourine, and other small objects. No sooner were the doors of the cabinet closed, the sounds of bells ringing and tambourine shaking could be heard. Swiftly, the doors opened, and there was Keller still tightly bound. It fooled all who saw, and again fooled me too. Keller miraculously escaped the disaster of Robinson's defection. This last-minute tour was bringing in loads of money. As he traveled from Mexico to South America, I decided I'd let him momentarily collect as much as he could. I wanted him to feel on top of the world because soon, in the blink of an eye, it would be all gone. What I had planned would be the final straw for Harry Keller. The only way to recover from this scheme would be to, oh, dare I say it, he would have to make a deal with the devil. There, I said it. Then I would own his soul for eternity, or, or the boss would. Harry Keller sailed on the SS Boyan from South America to France. After several days at sea, the ship neared the shores of the European continent. However, they had to navigate the treacherous waters near the Bay of Biscay. The SS Boyan ran aground on the rocks near the island of Ushant. The ship took on water. The captain of the SS Boyan called for the life rafts, and without confusion, all the passengers were safely taken off the boat, including Harry Keller. But all of Keller's belongings, all his earthly possessions, all his accumulated wealth, which included diamonds and jewels collected in South America, and his entire show was still on board the sinking vessel. Despite the best efforts of the crew to salvage some of the passengers' belongings, it all ended up in the bottom of the sea. Keller the Magician was finished. No money, no act, no future, and now stranded in a foreign land with only the shirt on his back. He would surely curse God, and I could arrive to make the deal. Then, boss would mark Harry's name in the Book of the Damned. Mission accomplished. The end. Yeah, okay, it's not the end. Keller never cursed God, not once. The man with the angry temper never turned it towards God, though there was a lot of cursing coming from you-know-who. The boss was hot, Keller lost his entire show. He lost everything. It should have been the end. You're not even going to believe it. I, I, I can't even mouth the words. No hell. I'll, I'll let him tell you. When I was a young boy, I played this game with my chaps where we would try and run in front of oncoming trains and see 
Who could get the closest without getting hit? And one day, I dashed in front of a train, only to be stunned with the sight of another train coming from the opposite direction. I was scared. Death was surely upon me. My friends screamed in horror. The conductors of both trains blew their whistles. One of the oncoming trains, well, it hit something on the tracks, and it derailed right before me. I was untouched, unharmed, except for my wits. When the SS Boyan sunk with all my property and possessions on board, despite the way it looked, I knew I'd be fine. Someone was always watching over me. I wired my father in the States for enough funds to buy passage to another ship and sail home, and there was a little bit left over after buying the ticket, so I went to a London magic shop and I purchased a birdcage, but not just any birdcage, mind you. This one was the latest sensation on all of Europe, a cage that vanished at the fingertips. No covering, just dissolved into thin air. I bought one and headed for the ship to sail back to America. When I arrived in the United States, I took my purchase to a well-known magic dealer in New York City. I showed him the cage. He was duly astonished. I then traded the secret of the cage to have my entire show rebuilt. I was back in business within weeks. Despite our best attempts at corrupting Harry Keller, despite his use of our images on his posters, despite his occasional angry outbursts, he never came over to the dark side. He had a fulfilling career and ended as the most beloved magician of his time. The End Okay, that's not the end either. And in 1908, Harry Keller sold his show to another up-and-coming magician, a magician who earlier in life had attended Moody Bible College, but took a detour to become a showman. Hey, boss, I think we have a new prospect. The End for now. All the characters in this story are real people except for the narrator, Mephistopheles. Harry Keller, born July 11th, 1849, died March 10th, 1922, the first major American-born illusionist in history. He became the inspiration for the character of the wizard in the L. Frank Baum novel, The Wizard of Oz. He went on to inspire other performers like Harry Blackstone Sr. and was a father figure to Harry Houdini. The Fakir Aveva, born December 25, 1813, died May 24, 1891, a 19th century magician from Essex, England. He was Harry Keller's first teacher in magic. His real name was Isaiah Harris Hughes. William Ellsworth Robinson, born April 2, 1861, died March 23, 1918. 
Robinson truly was one of the most sought-after magicians of his time. He worked for Herman, even filling in for him at times. He then worked for Keller and then went back to work for Herman before finally finding his own way. He moved to England and became Chung Ling Su, the famous Chinese conjurer. No one knew that Su was actually an American impersonating a magician from China. Su even spoke through an interpreter when giving talks to the press. The Davenport Brothers Ira Davenport, born September 17, 1839, died July 8, 1911, and William Henry Davenport, born February 1, 1841, died July 1, 1877. They were two brothers from Buffalo, New York, who jumped on the craze called spiritualism. The brothers would be tied up inside of a cabinet. Bells and trumpets and other instruments would be placed into the cabinet with them. The the doors closed, and apparently spirits would ring the bells, blow the trumpet horns, and so forth. The doors would be opened, and the brothers remained tied. They traveled the world with this act, though never They never claimed actual supernatural abilities. William Fay was hired as the tour manager for the Davenport Brothers. In 1869, Harry Keller joined the troupe and shared duties with William Fay. Along the way, they learned the secret of the Davenport Brothers' cabinet trick. Fay and Keller went out on their own as a duo act. The incident with the SS Boyan happened to Fay and Keller, Faye retired afterwards, Keller went on to stardom. Howard Thurston, born July 20th, 1869, died April 13th, 1936. Howard Thurston really did attend Moody Bible College for a brief time. He was also known to become a bit of a con man. Magic seemed to be the thing that straightened out his life. He bought the Keller show from Harry Keller and toured with Keller in 1908. Keller handled the mantle of magic to Thurston on the stage at Ford's Theater in Baltimore, Maryland on May 16, 1908. Thurston continued to use devils and imps in his advertising until the end of his career. And that, my friends, concludes the Devil and Harry Keller radio drama, short story, whatever you prefer to call it. I hope you've enjoyed the story. hope you got a kick out of it. It was fun to write and uh, has been fun to share with people. So, like I said, hope you enjoyed it. This has been episode 72 of the Magic Detective Podcast. If you like this episode, please like it in whatever way your podcasting provider will allow you. And if you're so inclined, please consider giving me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That helps to move the podcast up in the rankings. Until next time, I'm Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective. Be well and be safe. The Devil and Harry Keller is copyright DAC Productions 2021, all rights reserved, including the right to reproduce this podcast or portions thereof in any form whatsoever. For information, please contact Dean Carnegie at info at carnegiemagic.com.